Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the digital stage. Those were some incredible discussions about the journey for 2030 from Laura and supply chain 2030 and healthcare from Steve. But before we dive into our next segment, I want to make sure to introduce to you Jonathan Kempe, who is joining us live from Australia. He will be joining me this afternoon to share his perspectives and insights on what we are learning. So, Jonathan, tell everyone who you are and what you do. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. It's a real pleasure to be with you and with the folks who are there with you in Washington. Welcome from Australia. It's a little bit chilly. It's about four or so in the morning. I've had a nice, strong coffee, so I'm ready to roll. My name is Jonathan Kempe. I'm the host, the proud host of Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia Pacific. I'm the CEO of Ships, SHIPZ.com. And it's my privilege to be amongst you. I love talking about supply chain. I love engaging with people all over the world and in my region about supply chain activities. And so it's a real pleasure to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So before we dive into a little bit more unlearning, and then I am also going to introduce our guest in just a little bit, we have some homework for you. So in advance of day two, make sure to read the Supply Chains to Admire report and get your thoughts on supply chain excellence ready for us for day two. To embrace Supply Chain 2030, we must learn from the past to unlearn, to rethink supply chain processes. Now, Jonathan, I know you and your team worked on some backwards bicycles to show us in real life the unlearning concept. What did you learn from that experience? Because I know there's a bunch of people who are going to get to see this next week um, at a different conference. So I want you to give us an idea of what that process was like and what you what you took away from it. Yeah, it's a great question. And backwards bikes i have to say they are complicated to build they're very complicated to ride as we were building them we had to go through a whole process of trying to work out exactly how they could go together and even as we were engineering them we we're working with some really competent people who could weld aluminium and do all these amazing things even they looked at it and they thought this is strange as we're constructing them we've got to think what the end result is which is when I turn left the bike goes right when I turn right the bike goes left as we went through the testing process it was complex we went through a few test rides and your mind is melting just trying to work out that as you turn left you have to lean right and as you turn right you had to lean left it was actually really hard to do you couldn't you couldn't sort of magically train your brain to do it differently it just did not want to do it and so i at best got a few pushes of the pedals and i'd love to see what's going to happen at the conference next week as these people try and try and try to ride these bikes it's going to be hilarious Oh, I cannot wait. All right. Well, with us here right now is Steve, all the way from the in-person stage. You just did a presentation about Healthcare 2030. I mean, you had to walk a fair bit, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so every for everybody online, um, tell us who you are, what you do. I know they, they saw your presentation just now, but for everybody else who, who maybe didn't get to see it. Uh, my pleasure. And I'm glad I don't have to try to ride the backwards bicycle because I would be one of those people on the ground. I know. And as much as you try to tell yourself, turn left and right, it's not a mental exercise, right? It's uh, it's hardwired. So yes, uh, Steve Downey, I am Chief Supply Chain and Patient Support Services Officer at the Cleveland Clinic. Wow. And so I'm responsible for supply chain, food, nutrition, our patient support, transportation, uh, customer service programs for 19 hospitals around the world. And, and my background is generally 
always healthcare and generally supply chain. So I've been at the manufacturing side. I've been in third-party logistics. I've been in group purchasing organizations and most recently with the clinic. Which part do you like best? I love the patient <laughs> care side. I am. It's always been about the patients. Anybody who's in healthcare, it's about the patient. So right. the closer you get to the patient, the better it is rewarding. And I tell you, there's nowhere better than the Cleveland Clinic. It's absolutely amazing to see the stuff we do. And then to think that your operational work helps those patients and it actually contributes to their care is amazing. And the fact we can do that. I love that. I love that. So I just want to give the audience a reminder that if you have any questions for Steve, either from his presentation or throughout the discussion that we're having right now, make sure to put it in the ask section because we want to make sure that we get to all of your questions. We're going to be back to the in-person stage at 3.30. So we literally only have 24 minutes with Steve and now's your chance to ask him some questions. So um, obviously I want to get to the current state of affairs, but what I want to ask you is, how have the last couple of years been? <laughs> what have you learned from it? And how are you embracing the concept of unlearning, relearn? And then we'll sort of get into the current current state. Sure. Resiliency is probably the biggest change that will always stay with healthcare supply chain okay. from what we saw. It was always important to get what items you thought you needed, but to then... When you go to turn to get your masks or your gowns and they're not there, right. you're like, uh, this is not the norm, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I need to do something differently. Health systems all around the U.S. turn to resiliency programs. I need to understand where things are made, how much my inventory is, what's my relationship with my suppliers, how do I monitor world events, how do I get yeah. better connectivity around this? It really became a... I need to together in an ecosystem fix this rather than either just assume it's going to be there when I turn around. Um, the other one is labor, yeah. you know, making sure we have all of the right operational teams, supply chain teams, clinical teams all together. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic exasperated that so much for yeah. everybody. Mm -hmm. Still trying to solve it, right? It's still economic pressure, still hard to get labor, especially clinical labor. So we're, yeah. we're hard at work trying to figure out that solution. The question then is, how do you unlearn what we were doing? Right. right? And uh -huh. what are those kind of go-to moves that we always had? Um, sole source, like let's use that as an example. It was a given that we would sole source something. We just talked about this. So our go-to move was awarding a supplier and go, right? And But is that the right answer if you don't have resiliency? If you have a supplier who is, let's say, in a uh, difficult location or a risky location or uh, they have a track record of not supplying, we've been starting to use OTIF or on-time and full measures, and we measure supplier performance. If somebody's performance is low, should we sole source that? That doesn't right. really make a lot of sense, that doesn't, right? No. Um, but yet we used to. And so that's people's go-to move. And yet that's probably not the go-to move that it should be. Now, healthcare is not the most um, embracing of change. Right. And rightly so. And there's a lot of risk in what we do. So you got to be careful. You got to be really diligent in change management. Mm -hmm. You have to understand who are users involved in the process. Yeah. You want to change something in, in the operating room? 
you better be very closely that that process is going to be and mm-hmm. make sure that works. And make sure you're, you're bringing all the internal stakeholders to the table and having that conversation. Now, Jonathan, I know you're itching to interject here. I know you've got some questions for Steve. Yeah, I Steve, I was so grateful for your presentation. I caught a bit of it. Both terrifying and amazing as I listened my way through it. I thought the future of healthcare is one of those things. I mean, it affects all of us. That's just mm-hmm. a given. Um, but as you were talking through it, you mentioned some things which are critical to supply chains. I mean, we saw in supply chains globally that compression effect, a huge amount more PPE is circulating the world. That pushes containers into a funny sort of rotation. And eventually that catches up to us as the rest of the world goes through its demand supply different cycles. You also mentioned that certain regions were massively responsible for sourcing. So Mm -hmm. my question about learning about that, uh, I mean, it's very easy for us to acknowledge, okay, Puerto Rico supplies, what was it, 80 something percent of all IV fluid, just incredible. And and certain regions of China have people. Do you think that people have actually learned? I mean, we're we're only a short time on from the the pandemic's peak, we could say, and it's still going through various waves around the Mm -hmm. world. But do you think people have actually analyzed their supply chain and said, you know what, sole source? Less resilient process. And I think it's a... It's a seesaw and you have to look at cost and resiliency on that seesaw and you have to make a choice of what's the right balance. It's not all one or the other. And health systems are now coming around to, okay, how do I understand both sides of the seesaw and then try to take that into account? Now, I think the more advanced health systems are figuring out better ways to bring suppliers, distributors, GPOs, health systems all together. And bringing everybody into the equation as kind of a group solve rather than us, them, your problem, my problem. We're all in this together helping the patient, right? And so if we look at here is the challenge, I need X material, I need PPE from here to this caregivers, what's the best way to solve that? Now that's a different question, right? Now we're all incented in the same way. So how do we bring everybody together to do that? That's new, and but the health systems are looking at new ways to do that. So I, I know, Jonathan, you have a question, but I have a question about reshoring because through all of this, we've heard governments say, we're going to bring manufacturing back for health products. <laughs> is that actually the case, and is that even feasible, and is that the discussion? that you're having in healthcare right now. There are lots of those discussions. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It's the same thing with chips, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a long cycle. Yeah. Um, Pharmaceutical manufacturing take a decade to get manufacturing made, tested, approved. So yes, those conversations are happening. There are a number, especially PPE was an early one. Uh, In fact, there's a health system who, um, Austin and Louisiana started working, make their own PPE safe source. So there is product flowing from the U.S. where it wasn't before. Now, the challenge comes, is that the most cost-effective? True. And it depends how automated the plant is. It depends on what the transportation cycles are, all that. Um, Will everything become onshore? No. And I think there's also a lot of conversation about nearshore. So what will go into South America or Costa Rica, wherever, and that's a good discussion. I think, um, again, it comes to knowing where. If I can make a sourcing decision, understanding all of my 
pacemakers come from one part of China is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. All of my pacemakers coming from one part of Minnesota is also not a good thing. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right? very, like, very true. There yes. could be snow. Mm-hmm. So understanding where it all comes from and then making sure I have a resilient supply and understanding that, balancing it in my supply chain, that's the answer. Jonathan, I know you're jump, jumping, chomping at the bit. <laughs> Champing at the bit. Uh, I mean, Sarah and I have come across the concept of shoreshoring as well, which is securing a supply chain holistically, not just looking at certain regions or geographies. And I think it's a fascinating concept. Um, but it actually reminds me of something you mentioned about data or data, as I think you folks say. Over there. Um, in regards to data, data security, the the movement of data between different areas when data secured at rest and in transit. I have a systems administrator and cybersecurity background, so I'm fascinated by the movement, use, and mm-hmm. implementation of data. Uh, but when it comes to patient data or PII, the things that HIPAA protects, um, there's a lot of different things that relate to medical data. It's obviously very, very important for patient care, but has to be secured. Do you think that companies are putting in a degree of effort, some effort, they're not really creatively thinking about this, or perhaps it's too far on the horizon for them to consider how their data is being used, how the data is being distributed, how it's being secured, and then how it's being analyzed. Because I hear a lot of talk about data is very important, analytics very important, AI and ML will transform things, but very little discussion about data integrity, how it's going to be stored and managed, who has access to it, how it can be distributed, and so on. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you're right that it has to be very closely protected. I do think the intake points of that data and the parts that share it are very aware of the impact that has. Mm-hmm. So on, let's say, devices and taking that data and sharing it with an EMR, they're very aware of what data they have and how to best share it. Now, is that data always the most interoperable is a question, is how easily shareable is it? And there are standards, HSF, but how easily shared is a challenge? And is it all uh, able to be accessed the right way? And let's say, is it, you know, for telemedicine um, or wearables? You know, there's other areas that I think you're going to get into more data. Absolutely. The, the data we deal with is more supply chain data. Mm-hmm. And having robust supply chain data that is managed, that is translated across the supply chain so that I'm calling something the same thing as a manufacturer's calling it, yes. the distributor's calling it, um, that's a challenge. And yet Laura mentioned UDI and the work we were doing there. It's still a And oftentimes we have to translate for that. And But I think um, with the right incentive, you get there. Look what happened in CPG. The right incentive was the transactional data at the cash register. Everybody wanted to see what got scanned and got used, and they wanted access to that data. So therefore, hey, let's use barcodes. Hey, that could be a simple answer to pricing. We could put that in a sales database. And so the next thing you know, you have standards for this, right? Well, there's not that push in healthcare yet, but there will be. Mm-hmm. And the more we start using barcodes, using RFID, using the information and have uses of it within our supply chain, within our operations, a commercial reason, then it becomes, oh, well, hold on, I need to comply. Right. And so, Steve, if you're scanning everything I have and that becomes your inventory, now 
okay, now I have to make sure it's right. Okay, now I will make sure it's right. <laughs> and make sure that the the data is the same, like you said, between all of the supply chain partners. I think, you know, that's one of the things when it comes to data that everybody struggles with. Because you could call a potato a variety of different things, and then it's all sort of out the window from an organizational standpoint, especially in supply chain with inventory, especially in healthcare, with so many SKUs that you're dealing with. I mean, I don't even want to ask you how many because it's, yeah, it's in the hundred thousands. And it happens even at the clinical level that clinicians want to call it the blue tube. And yet that's not my description. And so then my description goes on something and it's not the blue tube. And they say, where's right. the blue tube? And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, it's not blue tube. <laughs> and, and or then also substitutes. Right. So in today's shortage world, we work a lot on making sure we have available substitutes for a product. And I just ran into this. We had the pink tube instead of the blue tube. And everybody said they couldn't find the blue tube. And it was like... I'm sorry, but the closest we had was the pink one, and it just threw everybody off. And I just wanted to cross out blue and write pink on it. Like, it just was threw everybody off. There's no easy way for me to take product number, description, Mm -hmm. system description, clinician description, substitute description, and call it all the same thing. Like, there's no way to manage all that. Absolutely. Well, and I just ran into this um, with the movie theaters. There's a shortage of canola oil. And so the butter that they're using in the uh, cinemas isn't turning it yellow. And so everybody's complaining because it's not the right butter. (laughs) So you had pink and and blue tubes. I've been talking to cinemas that aren't uh, giving out the butter color. (laughs) Well, you put too much butter on that, right? Exactly, because you wouldn't know. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, so I, I think that just goes to show that we've got shortages in a variety of different industries and everybody's dealing with different things and, you know, how how it's being perceived from a supply chain perspective versus a frontline perspective is very different. I think we all need to sort of come together, right? So do you think it's possible to create a value network to create wellness? I think there is. And it's where I I say it comes to trust. We need to bring everybody into the same page. Mm -hmm. We In CPG, the manufacturers see what's on the shelf at Walmart and are just as invested in making sure that product is there ready for sale. Why doesn't that happen in an OR? Right. Why isn't somebody understanding what my surgical schedule is and mm-hmm. seeing what my product demand is and seeing how much I have? Yes, I will manage it, but I also want the manufacturers to see that as well. Right. Visibility. Why, yeah, why don't we have common visibility? Yeah. And why don't we have just a way that I can share that and also the manufacturers share it with me? Mm-hmm. So a distributor who's holding products on my behalf and buying from a manufacturer could tell me, Steve, I have six weeks of product. You don't need to also keep 12 weeks of product right. for something that has a three-day lead time with 99% aggregate. Very true. Good to know, right? And all that capital tied into it. Sorry, I didn't right. interrupt, but right. there's so much capital exactly. on it. Exactly. But if I don't have that kind of insight, we're not all on the same yeah. common platform. We can't. Something actually Laura helped us with early and she pointed to automotive in the 80s and said, you know, when they were solving a problem for brake pad shortages, the answer was get on the network right. and get visibility to everything. Understand what was made, understand what you have, see the production lines, and then we could all make sure there were brake pads mm-hmm. there. and everybody was invested and that's the way it works. Just of course, right? Why doesn't that exist in healthcare? It totally can. Now, can we get over the barriers of trust? 
number one. And number two, you don't have a dominant force. That's what makes it hard. If you put all the big health systems together, we're like barely 5% of the market. Mm -hmm. So if I say I want to come onto this type of network and somebody else has a different one and somebody now manufacturers are connecting all over the place, I recognize there's a challenge. Right. So it's going to be, how do we get standards? How do we make it easy? Mm -hmm. How do we... Not give up proprietary information. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right, which is what everybody's worried about. So. Yellow in the canola. <laughs> proprietary. <laughs> Jonathan. Yeah, so I, I had an interesting story from the automotive sector. Uh, happened here in Australia. And they had to fly someone in to try and resolve this because they had certain heavy engine parts which existed in one place and needed to be in another place for the factory to keep running. And they were air freighting them between these two places at an astronomical cost. And when they sent someone down to the line and said, hey, what's going on? Like, we, we keep air freighting these engine parts to you. Why don't you guys have any in stock and inventory? And then the line manager went off to the backyard where he had the shipping container. And sure enough, there were like 12 engines just sitting there ready to go. And his <laughs> comment was, oh, but these are my emergency supply engines. <laughs> and that that reminds me of how there's this domino effect down the line, which I think is incentive related. And so my question to you, Steve, is when it comes to medical services and the critical supply of things, which are quite literally life and death, do you think there needs to be an incentive mechanism so that those sorts of strange internal bullwhips get eliminated? I had a great idea and I'd be open to them, Jonathan. So if you got ideas, send them over. Um, oh, he's got life full ideas. <laughs> I, yes, right. And I think there are incentives. So it, I was on the manufacturer side and we used to guess at demand. So I'd have to produce a lot size that was based on historical assumptions I made about looking at data and looking at sites. And for example, the manufacturer supply in the clinic, if you are assuming an uh, ex-surgical schedule, and then you just make the same stuff based on that schedule. But I have a different surgical schedule coming because it's the fall and back to school and I have ex-physicians that are there and not there. And then we're opening a new neuro tower and we have an extra cardiac wing, like, and all those things are variables, right? So if I had that conversation with you, kind of an SOP conversation, then you could change your demand. I can share my surgical schedule with you, change your demand. Your production of is, is going to get better. And if you're going to get better at your lot size, you're going to waste less. So it's better for you, right? You have to guess as much. And together, then I would benefit because now I have more reliable supply. You're not undersizing and then telling me that you don't have it because you undersize the production lot. So there is an incentive there. It's, it's cost savings and resiliency on both sides. So if you can get through the trust barriers and have a real like supply chain to supply chain conversation and say, what could I do with you together? I'll give you another example. We had a conversation just last week about on time and full. Manufacturer had been piloting, doing their own measurements of on time and full. And so had we. And we got different answers. Wow. And it's a pretty straightforward calculation. And But it all depends on exactly what you put in it, right? what you assume is lead times and what's excluded and what's not. And once we said, interesting, I didn't know you did that. And oh, I didn't know you were doing that. We thought we were, okay. So then we said, well, what answer did you get? Oh, okay. That's not as good as what I thought. I was better than that. And so then we shared the information, what was in the formulas. And we said, that wouldn't be all that hard to align on. Now there's some conversations. 
And then we'll end up with the same data. Well, all it took is two men being a manufacturer to get together and say, let's have a common measure. I mean, but you got to trust each other and you got to find the right people and the right motive to do that. And once you do that, the answer's not that bad. Yeah. And you can sit down and have that conversation and really figure out where the gaps are. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier with the river of demand. That's right. It's funny about that. <laughs> it's really funny how we, how we get to go full circle. Um, so we've got a couple of minutes left and then